Amazing. Welcome, everybody, to week one of our brand new preaching series called Into the Wild. My name is Gabe Phillips, and I'm married to a beautiful lady uh, called Fiona Phillips. Uh, we've got two amazing little munchkins, Olivia and Benji, six and four, respectively. But more than that, we also get to be pastors in what we consider the best church in the world. Do I have an amen, people, this morning? Come on. Come on. There we go. It's really good to be in church today. There are many significant dates that uh, mark our, our lives. There's moments of, like the, of, of historical consequence where we look back and go, I, when that happened, I remember where I was. The news of Princess Diana in 1997. The, the Twin Towers collapsing in 9-11-2001. And then the reality of the 28th of October, 2023, when Sia Colisi lifted the William Webb Ellis Trophy for the fourth time, people. Where were you? I'll tell you where I was. I was right here on the stage lifting the Mark Van Pletsen for the first time ever over my head, spinning him around. He's never been the same since. I mean, just incredible. But it was, it's these moments that mark us. I'm like, where were we when those things took place? On a more personal level, the, the date, the 16th of March, 2017, will always be a date uh, branded in my heart. It was the day that I became a dad. Olivia Grace Phillips entered to this world. I remember the emotions, the, 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 the feelings, the anxieties, the excitements, all colliding into one. I remember getting in the car uh, with my wife and going towards the hospital and knowing that this will be the last time the two of us will be alone in the car forever. It seems like forever. And then we'll be leaving that hospital in a few days with another human being in the back seat and she'll be ours. It just blew my mind. I just remember getting there and trying to reconcile all these different emotional uh, emotions taking place in my heart. And that day, the 16th of March, there was a day of screaming, of tears, and that was just me on the way to the hospital. But I remember that room, and I remember that, 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 uh, that little life coming out of the womb, and that little bundle of red-headed joy, and my heart just swelled. It's like, that's my girl. And it was an out-of-body moment, if I can put it that way, a weird moment where I, I realized the significance of the here and now, that I'm a dad, but I also saw in that moment, if, if I didn't believe in God before that day, let me tell you, I, I was convinced of that fact after I saw a human being come, that was so perfect come out of my wife's womb, and I looked at life, and I, and I realized that, that, that this was just no, this was not just some biological reaction that took place. I looked at that baby, how perfect she was, and I knew, I'm like, I'm just not that good at sex to make that. I'm just not. I was like, this... This is a divine moment. This was a divine moment. This is uh, the hands of an almighty God knitting together this beautiful life in her mum's womb, knowing the days and knowing the moments that she was going to be placed. And I knew that she was going to change our world, but I was convinced that she was going to change the world. As I lifted up in the Lion King moment saying, everywhere the light touches is our kingdom, Olivia. Just I knew this was going to change the world. Likewise, for us, it is this reality that we want to step into this moment, step into this zone, and remind us in the series, Awaken the Church, about the moments and times that we're living in. That this is the reality for us, is that I have to keep reminding us, as Mark Twain said once, he said, the two most important days for humanity is to remember the day that you were born, and secondly, to find out the reason why. The reason why you were born. And this series is an attempt for us to remind us and awaken us in a sense, put the king kindling on the fire, the eternal fire in our hearts of why we are here, why we're we still here, why we're we alive. And we need to remind us that, that for every single one of us, when you were born, when I was born, the doctor looks at us at a moment and said, oh, another crying baby. The social worker said, oh, another mouth to feed. 
your mom or dad lifted you up, turned you around and said, I wonder, is it going to be more is the paternal side or the maternal side that he or she will look like? But let me tell you, in that moment, all of heaven leant in and said, the plan has begun. The plan has begun. There was something divine and miraculous about that moment. You and I are not just a product of romance and passion spilling over. You're not just a product of cheap wine and faulty birth control. You are not just a mere clump of cells. Let me be serious here. You are not a mistake. The plan has begun. You have been chosen and set apart for such a time as this. And I, I'm here to remind us in this moment that this is our narrative, this is our story, but not just as individuals, but this is the narrative of the church. That when the church was birthed, it wasn't with creeds and councils and, uh, and, and robes and religiosity. No, the church was birthed in the wild. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, when the birth of the church, Jesus speaking, he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I love that text because he says this. He says, you shall receive, not earn, not work for, receive power, earth-shattering, demon-chasing, body-healing, addiction-breaking, life-changing, resurrection power. When, not if, not maybe, not when you've figured it all out, no, when, when the Holy Spirit, the very presence and person of Jesus comes upon, anoints, ordains, equips, releases you, ordinary, unschooled, disqualified, apathetic, you and me. And why is he doing this? Why is he giving us this power? so that we would be his witnesses. Those who've seen, those who've heard, and now those who go and tell the good news of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Another way to put it is Jesus is saying, we're going public with this. We're going global. This is no shy, retiring thing. This is no safe, suburban, sanitized, secluded religion. This is the gospel. This is what I'm putting in your hearts. And this is the reality for us in a moment. Jesus, in that very uh, get-go, said, the plan has begun. And another way he said it, we're born to be wild. Born to be wild. Come on. Come on, some of you are like, well, that's, that's the sort of stuff Mark and Pearson sort of sings, you know. Born to be wild. And actually, it feels like a lot of the church, we've, in a sense, we've sobered up, we've measured up, we've, we've tightened the belts, we've, we've, just stand, we've just become a bit more measured in our response, and it feels like we're singing more things like, live to be mild, save me a seat on Sunday. It's like, come on, church! Come on, church! We'll remind you that this is why you were born, why you're here, what is burning in our hearts, that this is who we are called to be. Or as Jay-Z and Kanye West once said in 2011, there's no church in the wild. And they were saying it as a, as a lament that, there was, that religion served them in no, in no way, shape or form behind their buildings, in the, out on the streets, on the broken space of humanity. There's no church in the wild. But they say, oh, they hadn't met Life Changes Church just yet. Or they didn't know that this is who we are called to be. We're a church, not, not here. You're trying to um, fill a building. We know we're called to fill cities. 
We are a people who are reminding our hearts that we're not a church on a block, but a city on a hill, and our light cannot be hidden. In Acts chapter 5, the disciples with this message start to see God, Jesus break out in a powerful way through them. Yes, ordinary, disqualified, unqualified them because the Holy Spirit came upon them. And the indictment of the religious elite to them, who were so angered by this, said to them angrily, this is our, what we have against you. You have filled the city with the message of Jesus Christ. I'm like, what an amazing commendation. Is that not the aim of every church? Imagine if that's the worst people could say about us. You Christians have filled this city with the message of Jesus. I'm like, that is the dream. We're not called to fill buildings. Too small, too boring, too safe. We're called to fill cities. And now we want to invite you, born to be wild, into the wild with us, because this is the call of the gospel. Let's pray, and we'll get stuck in. Jesus, I thank you that you are here with us, and you're here to blow your fire on potentially even the dying embers of our heart. Where our hearts have become seduced by our own weakness, by the, the depravity of the world, and we've got nervous, and we, we shied away from the divine call of the gospel. I pray, awaken the slumbering giant. We pray, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Tableview as it is in heaven. In Century City as in heaven. In Malmesbury as it is in heaven. In Belleville as it is in heaven. In our office block as it is in heaven. In our schools, in our shopping malls. On the side of the sports fields. In our families, around our dining room tables. On earth as it is in heaven. We pray this dangerous but wild prayer. We say, God, would you answer us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A little while ago, a friend of mine, Scott and his wife, who've got two little kids of their own, invited us, a family of four, to this fine dining establishment called Spur. And uh, we arrived there, and uh, the, the, the two mums went to chat at the table. The two dads were on kids' duty. We took them to the, the jungle gym area, and we stood at the gate, and, and we were chatting amongst ourselves, and we got caught up in a heated discussion where he was trying to tell me that the All Blacks potentially would win. And I was like, there's not a chance. The Springboks will win. I said, I think it'll be 12-11. And, no, I'm joking. I, uh, but but uh, my memory of that moment might be a bit fuzzy. But what I do recall was all of a sudden we looked up after a while, and we said, Scott, just doing the numbers, weren't there four kids in the playground area? He was like, oh, yes, there are. I said, well, there's one redhead, there's two redheads, there's your eldest, but where is Christopher? Okay, Chris, where's Christopher? So we start to look, and we're like, oh, at least have a look for him. And Scott's going, here, Christopher, here, Christopher. Little three-year-old looking up and down the, the jungle gyms, the slides, or in the sand pit. Then all of a sudden, a little bit of uh, stress. And, and anyone who's a parent who has mislaid one of their children... You know this, this moment, the slow, the slow rising tide of panic. It's like it starts a gentle, it starts to rise, but here's the first rule, you might want to write this down, is if you do lose one of your children, make sure your spouse does not notice it before you found said child. Okay? That's one for free, just write it down. Yeah, all week, help you out. So Scott went and said, okay, I'm just going to go check. Maybe he went to mum's table. So Scott went up there, but you want to give it away? Hey, ladies, hey, ladies, just... Looking, this table, really great carpentry. Love it. Just checking, good, solid, solid, solid. Carry on, carry Now everything's good. 
panicking, running. I'm starting to panic. All of a sudden, you're starting to realize what's going on. I ran to the front door. I I, I said to the security guard, who's lying there, uh, leaning against the wall, nonchalantly, with his arms folded, I said, hey, have you seen a a young child? Yay, hi. Doesn't talk much. Very speedy. Have you seen a child run out? No, I haven't seen anyone. Let me tell you, I've never been more irritated with someone's lack of urgency in that moment. What are you doing? You're not getting the urgency of this moment. Uh, we run back in. We're running all over the place. And, and in that moment, not once did Scott come to me and say, Gabe, 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 relax. You know what? I've just thought about it. I came in with two kids. I've lost one. That's 50%. No, it's a pass. <laughs> it's actually okay. Let's leave. You know, it's fine. Not once did he do that. And actually, there's kids and my kids that came and they tugged on our shirt while we were running around screaming, looking for Christopher. They're going, Dad, is it the ice cream come yet? Let me tell you, not a bad question, just terrible timing. When, this, when Christopher's missing, everything else must stop for that reality. We have to find Christopher. Likewise, I think the church, we've forgotten our very core and our very mission. We've got sidelined by other things, not bad things, not wrong things, not evil things potentially even, but we're asking questions that are not burning on the Father's heart. John Calvin once said this, he said, the cross is the Father declaring, I want my kids back. Jesus said it even clearer. He said this. He said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. That's his LinkedIn profile. What do you do? What's your mission statement? Seek and save that which is lost. And I want to awaken our hearts to this reality that as long as Christophers are missing, as long as Bonganis are missing, as long as Sue's, as James's, as sons and daughters are missing and are being tormented by the enemy, the church of Jesus Christ needed a sound, a sense of urgency. Declare an emergency. This is an urgency, said Muse in the late 2000s. You never thought you'd hear Muse, Jay-Z and Kanye be quoted in church, but there you go, people. If we won't listen, he'll use whoever to listen that this is an urgent moment. And I believe nothing irritates heaven more as the lackadaisical, unurgent church lying against the pillow going, I don't know, not on my watch. Let me tell you, not on my watch. This is the reality. The Apostle Paul, he wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, it's like a divine alarm clock. He said this, he, he said this phrase, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. But let me tell you, I read that wrong. This is how he wrote it. Wake up, O sleeper! Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. It's an alarm clock that cuts through the, the malaise and the, of, our, of sleepy eyes and wakens up to the urgency of the moment. And he, listen, he's not writing this to some pagan Papua New Guinea people who've never heard. Wake up! Come to Jesus! Now they've heard the gospel. No, no, he's not doing that. The book of Ephesians is written to the church, to a sleeping church, a a slumbering bride who have forgotten the very purpose and the reason of why they were born, why they were called, why they were made. This is the very heartbeat. And that's what we're going to do is sound the alarm clock in our hearts. It's a narrative that I love that found its way to the silver screen in the late 90s under the directorship of a man named James Cameron. It's an event called Titanic. And Titanic was not just a great movie that went on for over three hours. It was also a historical retelling of a real event. The Titanic was a ship declared unsinkable that hit an iceberg and started to plunge into the icy depths. 
what doesn't make it onto the movie and what is in, in, in the true re reflection of the narrative is that night as the Titanic started to sink, another ship just over the horizon called the Californian was going on its own agenda. And on the Californian, they had enough space on board for every man, woman, and child to be rescued. But what happened was as the distress signals of the Titanic went up into the air, the first mate on deck ran in and said, Captain, Captain, at the Californian, wake up, wake up. Distress signals just over the horizon. The captain woke up, rubbed his eyes and said, how far apart are they? To which the first mate responded, they're 10 minutes apart. The captain turned over, pulled the duvets up and said, wake me up when they're five minutes apart. So the first mate went out watching his watch, timing it, timing it, as he saw the urgency get, uh, gather steam and get quicker and quicker. Five minutes apart, ran back in. Captain, 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 they're five minutes apart now. To which the captain famously or infamously said, what color are they? He said, they are red. The captain said, they're not of our company. They're not our problem. And the Californian went undeterred on its own agenda as the Titanic went into the icy depths, every man, woman, and child dying in its wake, except for Rose. That might not be historically true, but, but in, all, in, all, in all honesty, we have to realize that there's this, this so with the church, I think the indictment of the church is that we can be like the Californian. We can be on our own agendas, our own missions, our own stories, when we actually, and there's distress signals going all over our city, businesses, people, um, the children, going, actually, I need help, somebody help me. And the church are going, we don't understand the urgency. They're not of our company. We're with our prejudices, our own agendas. And we get so small, so safe. And we go undeterred and sleeping in our own way. And people are going down into the icy depths of disaster. Are we awake to this reality? Church, are we awake to it? The Apostle Paul, he, does, he goes on and he tries to remind us. But before I get there, just this reminder that even for my own heart, as I, as I drive to church each week, and, I, and I've prepped all week to preach, and I'm, I've made, I want to be faithful with the word. And, I, and I, I, if I'm honest, I sometimes will drive, and I'm dri as I'm driving, my heart will start going to, oh, I hope people like it. I hope the people at church tell me, whoa, that was so good. Wow, you are so wise. If I'm just being honest, I hope people go, mm, that you're, that's, the, that's your best one yet. Bravo, well done. Sure, this guy's good. Wow, how was that? Eh? He's really good there. That's what my flesh wants. And then I start to remember, and I, I start to recount what God put in Moses' lips when he sent Moses to go speak to Pharaoh. This one-liner, let my people go. It is still the cry of heaven that actually here, we're not trying to entertain. We're not trying to just be informative. We're not just trying to say, hey, here's some great Christian information. No, no, we're not trying to fill up time with religiosity. We're trying to release an army. Awaken the bride to the very purpose of what you're made for. Let my people go. It's still the cry of God for, for the church to carry. Will you, as a type and shadow of Moses, will we go in and say, let my people go? We call that cry in the darkest of places. The Apostle Paul said it for me in one of the best ways, Ephesians 3 verse 10, answering this question of why are we here? He says this, now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God shall be made known. Now, it answers three questions. When? Paul says, Now. Not when you've got to figure it figured out, when your marriage is a bit more stable, when you've been at church for a longer bit of time, when you've done enough Bible training. All those things are good things. I'm just saying this is the green light of the gospel. He says, now, 
It's like sitting at the traffic light. You're third in the row, and you're watching, and you see that, that right light over there, it goes from orange, it's gone red, you know yours is about to come green now, and you're in gear, you're ready to go, you're revving, here we go, and the two cars in front of you are still sending messages on their phone, in neutral, stalling as they're about to go, and everything inside of you is like, don't press the hooter, don't press, I'm just confessing my, <laughs> confessing Mark's struggle. Yeah. Yeah. But let me tell you, in this scripture, the Apostle Paul is pressing the hooter. No! 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 Now, when? Who? Through the church. Not through some great orator. Not some public speaking professional who's got a pulpit and a platform on YouTube. Not some blogosphere person who's got a, a people wanting to hear what have they got to say. Not some a nation's army. Not even a, a denomination that's representing some churches. No, 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 no. Not a nation's army. Not even the angelic armies of heaven. No, he says through the church. And he's not saying a church, a name. No, he's saying the church. He means the people. Church means the ecclesia, the called out ones. You and I. Called out, ordinary, unschooled, you and I, saying the church, we get to carry this message. Now through the church, this is the wonderful reality for you and I. Who? Through the church. Look, look to the left of you, look to the right of you, quickly. Have a look, have a look down your road. Look around, look around. That is God's plan A for the world. That should probably terrify us firstly. Like, oh my goodness. But also should stir us to remind us to urgency that there is something important of value in my life. Because this is God's plan A. He does not have plan B. It's now through the church. There's no one else coming. We can look out the doors. Who else is coming to save us? Oh, it's us. It's us, people. Now through the church. The when? Now. Who? The church. What are we going to do? Make known the manifold wisdom of God. Now you go, that sounds cool, but what the heck is the manifold wisdom of God? That sounds exciting. But what is it? Glad you asked. The simple wisdom of God. So if manifold means multifaceted, the, 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 the mystery of all mysteries, what is the simple wisdom of God? According to theologians, the simple wisdom of God was creation. Genesis 1 and 2. When God said, let there be light, boom. He goes, oh, simple. Supernovas, galaxies, stars, mountain ranges, valleys, uh, microbiology, uh, everything in between that you can think and imagine. Simple, simple, simple. Easy for him. The multifaceted, the manifold wisdom of God, the wisdom that we're told that angels long to look into but are not permitted to fully see and comprehend is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God would condescend and become a man Take up, on our, take up on himself our frame and he would take upon himself our sin and in, in transference he would give us his righteousness, God's righteousness and on top of that he'll make us right with God, making us alive as sons and daughters and then he would also on top of that give us the ministry of reconciliation and saying you can reconcile man to God. This is the mystery of all mysteries, the good news of Jesus Christ. He's given this to us and said church, you go and make the, the dying come alive. The lost to be found the broken to be healed. This is the manifold wisdom of God that we get to carry. And anything less is too boring, too safe, too small. If you are bored with church, you've missed this. You've missed the very heartbeat of God. This is not some radical preacher. This is not some stylized emphasis. This is the Bible. This is Bible 101. 
So what does it mean for you and I? Well, uh, the reality is that I, I live, grew up under a preacher who used to preach and prophesy over our nation weekly named Gareth Cliff on 5M. And every week he would say and end his, his Friday rant with a crescendo, it's the weekend, baby! Preaching to the idol of our heart of the weekend. And everyone going, TGIF, TGIF, we've made it to Friday. We work all week so that we can relax on the weekend. We can holiday, we can rest, we can play. It's going to be awesome, TGIF. But I, I shudder and fear that actually I think the church in some shape and form have embraced TGIS. Thank God it's Sunday. We come and we, please pray for me, eh? This week is going to be hectic out there. Eh? I need prayer. Okay, here I go. I'm going into Monday. Here we go. <gasps> Got the head and not the tail. I'm above not beneath. Crazy doesn't mean it's in the world. I'm Sunday. <gasps> I made it. Woo! Thank goodness. I made it through. When I, when I read the scriptures, I realized that actually we've got it backwards. We should be the only people in the world who wake up on Monday going T-G-I-M. It's game day. It's time for darkness to be invaded. It's time for the people of God to come out of hiding. It's this reality for you and I that actually for us, that, that the, the thought process, you say, you say, you know, but Gabe, it sounds amazing and exciting for you with a microphone. But I'm a, I'm a barista. I just make coffee. No. You're not, not just a barista. You're a bean revivalist. Come on. You've got to start reframing how you look at yourself when you understand. Gabe, I'm just a teacher. No, 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 no. You are setting up an outpost on the edge of hell. Some schools maybe more literally than metaphorically. But you're saying, everyone else might have given up on these kids, but God, you've sent me. You, I'm just a real estate agent. No, you're a secret agent who's going behind enemy lines into people they're selling their home. You're not just consumed with the bottom line. You're thinking actually, why are they selling their home? What's going on? Well, my marriage has failed. Well, actually, that's why I'm here. To step into this moment. Step in this day. This is the reality of who the church is called to be. We're not, uh, the church's success is not our seating capacity, but our sending capacity. Say it again. It's not our seating capacity, but our sending capacity. A lot of people will, 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 will say, hey, tell me the success of a church. How big is it? How big is your church? I'm telling you, that's, that's a flawed way to measure a church success. Because biblically, the Bible says a pastor's job is not to entertain a crowd, Ephesians 4 says the pastor's job is to equip the saints for works of service. So it's not about how many are people coming, it's about how many people are going and ministering. And this is the reality when we gather around this, this is who we call to be, but it's so exciting for us. We have everything I believe we need to reach the city in this room right now. We're not praying, God, send us some influential person. God said, I've given you everything you need in this church right now to reach your city. Awaken them, train them, release them into the wild. Remind them, born to be wild. This is the very heartbeat of God that every week we have five services and five services across our city. We have about 800 to 1,000 adults filling our seats. What a joy for us as pastors every week we get to ordain and release 800 to 1,000 pastors, evangelists, prophets, apostles to go into the city. Oh, the city did not know what hit it. You have filled the city with the message of Jesus. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. This is for us. I want to remind us, it's everyone, everywhere, all the time. It's the call of the gospel is everyone, not just the guy with a mic. It's you with a broom in your hand, with a pen in your hand, with a spreadsheet in, your, in front of you, with 
colleagues right to left to you. It's everyone. Everywhere. In the shopping malls. At your appointments. On the side of a sports field. You're not there just primarily only to cheer on your child. You're there. You say, God, who have you put me strategically next to? Acts 17 says, God knows the exact times and places you should live. So that man would reach out and find him. Because you're there. You are here not because Jobig said, hey, you need to transfer down to Cape Town. You're here not just because that relationship failed and you needed to move to Tableview because cheap accommodation. You are here because the great architect of heaven, the greatest chess player known to man, has said, I'm going to move the chessboard in such a way that I will move you to the exact time and places you should be so that you'll be seated next to that person on that plane, so that you'll be introduced to that person in that office, so that you'll be have that neighbor across from you right now and you'd walk out with your bin on a Friday or whatever day at that exact time. God says, so that somebody would reach out and find him. It's no longer safe, sanitized, secluded Christianity. It's all at war. We're born to be wild all the time. It's fun to preach with the keyboard playing in the background. It makes things sound more holy. It does. And, I, and, and it does help. Helps us minister, yes. But I want to tell you, when you step out on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and there's no keyboard, and you're like, whoa, this is hectic. I stepped out. Right then, the harmonies of heaven start to play with you. In that moment, so often the church is saying, God, we need more power. God, we have prayer meetings. God, give us your power. We need your power. And God says, what for? What are you doing that needs it? But as soon as we step out into the mission, when he says, you will be my witnesses, and we step out into that, he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. When you step out and the mom says, I don't know what to do, and you're sitting next to her and she's weeping, say, well, I don't either, but I can pray with you. God says, my power is available there. When you say, Someone says, where do I go? I don't know what to do. You say, well, I, I, I go to church. Would you like me to pick you up and bring you on Sunday? The power's there. It's, this is when we step out into the faith, God starts to move. Jesus said it best when he spoke to his disciples. And he's speaking, I believe, of this word afresh to you and I today. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day, travel, light. I bring this into conclusion with just this narrative that's emblazoned on my heart. And maybe you've heard it before, but I pray for it, a fresh deposit for us. But it's a narrative of a man named Nicholas Winton, a man who grew up in the 1930s under the, the wave of Third Reich Germany taking over Eastern Europe. He was a low-level stockbroker in England who read about the war and would tut-tut and say, how terrible, how sad, but carry on with his life because what can I do? in such a large, global stress event. So he went to work back and forth, stockbroker, until a friend said, actually, I'm going using some holiday to go over to Czechoslovakia. Why don't you take two weeks off, come with me there, and we'll just go and get involved with some of the welfare on the ground. So he thought, well, I might as well do that. They got there, they arrived in Czechoslovakia, and what they got there was they were faced with the, the horror, the fear, 
the, the, the anxiety of families as they knew that Hitler and his regime were just on their doorstep and they'd heard the, the rumors and seen the smoke and the fear. What's going to happen to us? And they, they, they lashed onto Nicholas and his friends and said, how can you help us? But, but I'm just a stockbroker. So he did what any good bureaucrat would do. He opened a notebook and got his pen out. So let me take some details. And one by one, parents came and said, could you get my child out? So he wrote the children's name down, put the children's photos in the book. Next page, names, photos, names, photos. And as they, he finished that book, at the end of the two weeks, 660 children got onto a train and were escorted out of Czechoslovakia to safety in England, waving tearful goodbyes to their mums and dads who they would never see again because of the ravages of war. Nicholas got those kids into homes, orphanages, by hook or by crook, he found a place for them to stay. But then he closed his book, put it in the attic and went back to work. That was the story until the late 1970s when his wife was cleaning up the attic and she stumbled upon this book full of Czechoslovakian children and her husband's handwriting. She legitimately had some questions to ask and said, Nicholas, what's going on here? To which Nicholas recounted the story and said, this is why I evolved in the 1930s, no big deal. She was stunned and said, no, this is a big deal. This is living history. So she took that narrative and that book to the BBC and the BBC put on a, uh, a show where they recounted the narrative with Nicholas in his, in his latter years with horn room glasses sitting in the front row, nodding along to it. But the crescendo of the, the whole presentation was when the host said, Nicholas, the lady singer on your left that's been beside you the whole night, she wants to introduce herself. She was one of those children on the train. At that moment, she's got tears. Nicholas has got tears. Everyone's crying. It's just this moment, this poignant moment. But in the silence, the host then says, is there anyone else in the studio audience who owes their life to Nicholas? To which the whole studio audience stand up. That all these were kids who had been rescued by this man and now grown up. In that moment, as I watched this, beyond the emotion and the stirring, I thought, is that not the mandate of the church? Is that not what we've received from Jesus? On the back of the obedience of one man, many went free. I want to say it this way, life changes church. On the other side of our obedience, people are waiting. On the other side of your yes at the office, on the other side of your yes to detour and slow down and speak to that person, on the other side of that invitation to church, on the other side of that time I'm going to pray when I don't know if I should, on the other side of that obedience, people and generations are waiting. And it's not about your intellect, your ability, or your rhetoric, or saying the right things. He said, no, 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 you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So I remind us today, I say, you shall receive, not earn, not work for, receive. Receive. Power. Earth-shattering, demon-chasing, body-healing, addiction-breaking, life-changing, resurrection power. When? Not if, not maybe. When? The Holy Spirit, the very presence of Jesus, His very heart that came to seek and save the lost comes upon, ordains, elects, chooses, empowers, releases you, ordinary, unschooled, disqualified, unqualified, you and me, to be as witnesses to the ends of the earth. We're going public with this. We're going global with this. We were born to be wild. Can we stand to our feet? I just want to land with this because I didn't want to say it up front because I think might have, might have run for the hills when we heard this. That word witnesses is translated in the original language martyretto where we get the root word martyr. So when Jesus is saying witnesses, this is not just something light and trivial. He says this is something worth dying for. So much so that somebody did die. 
and his name is Jesus. This is not us going with a message of hope based on some hope in the future. This is something, a hope that something has been accomplished, something has been done. We get to go and declare victory has been won for you and I. Life Changes Church, we're not called to fill buildings, we've been called to fill cities. But before God fills cities, He wants to fill us with His heart, with His power, with this mandate. Can we close our eyes and can you, if you feel compelled like me, to lift your hands as high as you can and surrender to His mission, not mine. To His agenda, not mine. To His kingdom, not mine. To His will, not mine. Father, I thank you right now as hands are lifted. We say, your kingdom come. Your will be done in my heart as in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my home, in my business, in my gifting, in my hobbies, in my agendas, in every single day as it is in heaven. I thank you, Jesus. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. I pray, give us your heart. Give us your heart for the lost, for the last, for the least. Give us your heart for the broken. Give us your heart for us, God, that if we ever mature from this, we are, way, we are in more deeper trouble than we think. Because this is your heart. Though we had gone astray, you came after us. You left the comfort of heaven and you stepped into the darkness and depravity of our earth. You put on our flesh and blood and you said, I'm coming after you. And I will not relent until I find you. Christopher, where are you? Bongani, where are you? James, Sue, where are you? The father says he wants his kids back. And he says, church, will you carry this message? Will you carry this mandate? With every head bowed right now, I feel impressed in my heart that there are Christopher's, Bongani, Sue's are here in this room. And God has brought you to this place, a divine setup today to bring you home. We serve coffee, not because we love coffee, but because we want to serve this mission. We have people in the parking lot to greet you because they burn to welcome you home. We, have, we set up services, not because we love services, but because we love Jesus and we want you to know Him. If you've been on the run from Jesus, this is the wake up call. Wake up, O sleeper, come home. With every head bowed, if that's you, I'm gonna count to three. If you say, I'm done running, I'm done with my sin. I'm done with my own way of life. I'm coming home to you, Jesus. I hear your call and you've come to find me. This is your moment. One, two, three. If that's you, lift your hand as high as you can so I can pray for you. Is there anyone here? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, I thank you. These hands up are not just mere physical uh, gestures. These are hands of repentance. Saying, Jesus, I turn to you. I turn away from trusting my own self. I turn away from my sin. I say, Jesus, I'm sorry. But today I turn 180 degrees to walk a different direction. I thank you, Father. As hands go up, they are met with the mighty, empowering hand of God. You said it's not in your strength, but it's in mine. And I thank you, Father. You're raising sinners to life. You're raising sons and daughters back to their rightful place. You're anointing us and ordaining them, Father God, for the call. And as you say, come alive, you're saying, here are your mission papers. Welcome to the army. I thank you, Father. Do this in their hearts. Seal it by the work of your Spirit right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Father God, as a pastor ordained by Almighty God, I today get to ordain the people of life changes into full-time ministry. I ordain you by the power of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to go and be His witnesses. Right now, go carry the message. I thank you, ordain business owners. Ordain them, God, to know that they're following your orders. I thank you this. In Jesus' name we pray. We now choose to receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. So we can go and be your witnesses to this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.